the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to bring back to the airwaves of Phoenix, Daniel Buck, education expert. His book, What is Wrong with Our Schools? The Ideology Impoverishing Education in America and How We Can Do Better for Our Students. I should also mention he is a editorial and policy associate at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, probably the smartest think tank there is on education reform. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Daniel Buck. Daniel, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. You won't, you, there's no reason you would know this, but I have to tell you, probably I quote no one as much as I quote you when I talk education reform and education problems from that great Wall Street Journal piece you did. Uh, must have been about a year, year and a half ago now. Uh, talking mm-hmm. about it was, what's it was be- last summer. Yeah, I quote that probably at least mm, two or three times a month. I mean, I think everything anyone needs to know is in that. <laughs> well, not to take away from your book, but I, which is great. I think it's that that piece is seminal. It's seminal. That book, I basically distilled down yeah. my book into eight hundred words yeah. and ran it in the opinion section. It's probably one of the best things I've written. So it, I'll agree with you there. It, well, it's one of the best things that has been written on education in a long time. And back in the day, the Wall Street Journal—I mean, before social media went crazy. You know, there would be these long pieces in the Wall Street Journal or good think pieces in the Wall Street Journal that would have durability. They'd last for a while. People would talk about them for months and months and months. This is one of those pieces. It was that good, Mr. Buck. It really was. So anyway. I'm flattered. Yeah. Well, I just it's worth it's worth pointing out. I hope more people read it. Your most recent piece with uh, Thomas Fordham, Stop Calling Them book bans. It's been a really interesting thing. You know, you've borne witness to a lot of the corruption in our language and a lot of casual throwing around of labels. This is a big one. Um, The book ban, the book banning that the parental movement for rights, parental rights and education movement has been subjected to. Tell us what you're getting at here, sir. I wrote this piece because I was so frustrated by watching the media over and over and over and over again refer to these book bans, and they're not book bans. There's a a difference between a school changing a curriculum, you know, taking a book out of a library, um, someone like Target or Amazon deplatforming a book, and a government, you know, black bagging somebody for having prohibited material. Those later two, those are bans because you're limiting everyone's access to them. Changing a book on a curriculum, though, that's not a ban. When I was a teacher, I did that all the time. You read a book one year, kids love it. The next year, it just tanks and burns, and you decide to switch it out for something else. I've done it hundreds of times. It's not a ban. But the left wants to call all of these things banned because it makes it easier to then villainize groups like Moms for Liberty or any conservative teacher that speaks up because they're the the mean baddies that are trying to burn books and ban books when really they're just trying to keep, you know, in some cases, very explicit and vulgar material out of kids' classrooms. I want to come back to explicit and vulgar in a moment. 
But I also want to put in a word here to the notion of how these book, quote unquote, book bans are quantified. You know, a lot of people don't quite understand what constitutes the the numbers or the or the volume of which at which these things are being done. It can merely, in some cases, be not what you said, but merely someone asking that a book be moved to another section. That can trigger it in a library, many of which are in public schools. Yes. Uh, yes, I can think of the article that you're referencing. Yeah, um, this, you'll have yeah. one or two parents request a or three or four parents request that a book gets taken off off a shelf maybe because there's again a very explicit image in it and then it's reported as this book has been banned right. four times right and the number is made up and the idea again that it's a ban is completely fabricated right another condition for getting labeled a ban is moving a book not necessarily out of the curriculum but maybe at a section in a perhaps bookstore, but more often a library, to a different section. That can trigger the phrase banning a book, too. Yes. There's this great story. Uh, Amanda Gorman, who performed a poem at, if I'm not mistaken, at Biden's inauguration. Yes, that's right. And that's her, right. Yeah. her book got moved to the back of Barnes & Noble because they just were changing up where they were placing books. Yeah. Um, and she went on a long rant on social media about how all of her books are being banned and you know she's an abysmal poet but man she's great at getting book sales yes nothing's gonna nothing's gonna sell your book like claiming that it's been banned and you make a really good point daniel if i might you make a really good point about this notion that a book is banned a ban means unavailable and you know the books that are under discussion, the kinds of the kinds of books that you you might mention, like Gender Queer or Lawn Boy, I think uh, when Harry becomes Sally, these kinds of these are easily available. You can get them within twenty four hours or less on Amazon. You can get there's a the main bookstore here in Phoenix uh, has all these books, and it's at the intersection of four major public high schools, and it has all of those books in the young reader section. I mean, the notion that these books are banned. I, I sometimes want to ask people uh, you may know of, like uh, perhaps Abigail Schreier or mm-hmm. Bethany Mandel. You know how 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 do their books stock? Do those books get do those books get stocked in bookstores and libraries? The answer is they don't. You want to talk about a ban? It really, if it is a ban, goes in the other direction way too many times. I think. Yeah, I find there's a. The- dark ironic hilarity to Barnes and Noble setting up a band band book section <laughs> right. for nineteen nineteen ninety five a pop on display right books you can't in. buy. Here you go on sale. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give us your money. Yes. Um it's just so many lies to push to push sales and agendas. Uh regarding Abigail Schreier, Bethany Mandel's book, something I touch on briefly in this article at the Fordham Institute is if anyone's truly banning books or at least close to it, it's the left. They're the ones who are trying to get books de-platformed from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble. They're the ones that are trying to keep books out of everyone's hand. The right is doing pretty basic things like saying, hey, this book has the F word in it. Maybe we shouldn't have it in an elementary school library. Yeah, well, I mean, that would... 
maybe that would be welcome if that's all it had. I've looked at some of these books. It's far more. <laughs> you have too, and I know I know you're 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 being de- de- decorous here, but it's a lot more than just the F word on some of these things. It's a weird thing, though. You're a, you're a teacher, and I guess uh, a retired teacher now, and an education scholar. It is a weird thing, Daniel, that. We have just seemed, or a part of this country, or a part of the ideological measure of this country, has just kind of blown totally past this notion of age appropriate. I was saying to someone the other day, I well remember the debate over something called the V-chip in the late 90s that parents could put in their televisions to make sure their kids weren't getting shows that were age inappropriate for them. And Bill Clinton was touting this. And we all kind of understood it. We all knew what age inappropriate was. We all respected it. We all knew that young minds shouldn't be subject to – that's why we have rating systems with the movies. You wouldn't show an R movie in a fifth grade class any more than you would teach American history uh, by showing um, A Birth of a Nation, let us say, the old KKK movie. And that wouldn't be considered banning because you wouldn't show it, right? Um, Entirely. Um, I think about my own classroom. Uh, I read Frederick Douglass's autobiography. Yeah, tell that. That's schoolers. good. Do that. Yeah, good. And and I read. It's a great book, and I think every American should read it before they graduate high school. But there's a scene where a man's head is blown off, and it talks about his brains floating down the river. There's a woman who's raped and then whipped while the um, slave master is screaming that she's a b-word. Over and over and over and over again. I'm trying to be a little bit decorous in Thanks. my language, Thanks. and I read this and kind of realized, like, Ugh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have read this with middle schoolers. Doesn't mean I think kids shouldn't read it, but it just it was like this is too violent and too visceral for their little twelve year old minds to read. They don't need to be exposed to this right away. So I read A Raisin in the Sun instead. Yeah. I switched out one book for another because I I was a newer teacher and I realized this is just too much for them. I didn't ban Frederick Douglass's autobiography. I just thought, you know what? They might be able be a bit better able to handle this kind of graphic content when they're sophomore or juniors in high school. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not this year. Maybe it's better for you in a year or two. It seems to me responsible. Can you stay one more segment or do you got to run? Oh, I can stay one more second. Thank you. Great. I appreciate it. Daniel Buck is my guest. His book, it's a great one. What is wrong with our schools? The ideology impoverishing, excuse me, the ideology impoverishing education in America and how we can do better for our students. He's with the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Daniel Buck. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Daniel Buck is my guest. He's an education expert with the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. His most recent book, What is Wrong with Our Schools? The Ideology Impoverishing Education in America and How We Can Do Better for Our Students. Daniel, if I, if I might just shift it a little bit to what's implied in your um, in part of your subtitle of your book, it seems to me the last four, five, six months – well, let me start it this way. I have been saying, and I would love your thoughts on this, that there seems to be two versions of what education – what constitutes education in America these days. There's the version that – call it traditionalist if you want – that thinks you send your kids to school to learn a little math, learn a little reading, learn a little science, maybe learn a little bit about your country – 
And there's this other version which seems to support the notion that none of that is as crucial. It may not even matter very much so long as we can get the kids to think um, ideologically. So much of an education movement that believes in really propagandizing children, that there's an ideological purpose to education, if you will, that it should be, in the old phrase of an old book, a subversive activity, if you will. And you kind of, if you agree with me or not, I'd love to hear, but if you agree with me, you kind of see this playing out over the last four or five months when we've been seeing all these terrible national report cards and testing scores and achievement levels on so many things, while you see the NEA and the AFT just going nowhere in that direction, not wanting to talk about achievement levels or outcomes at all whatsoever, but doubling down on, you know, what, for lack of a better word, might be progressive DEI ideology kind of beating up on conservative stuff. Is that what's going on right now? Two versions of education fighting themselves out in, in the public in the public spaces? I mean, that's essentially exactly what's happening right now. I'm looking at the book on my bookshelf right now, Teaching is a Subversive Activity that he, you referenced. Yeah, well, it, what, I'm, uh, he, was, he, he later retracted it. Uh, he was a good scholar who later – Neil Postman maybe? I think he later retracted it. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, that was the point then. You, you get it. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, I so I have another article. It's in the works right now at National Review. So you can't go find it yet, but within the next <laughs> couple of days, it'll be there. Um, California just adopted a new math statewide math curriculum uh, that basically is doing away with exactly what you said. Math class is no longer for geometry or learning your times tables or practicing long division and things like that. Um, the girls focus on teaching for social justice. They have lots of examples and vignettes and what they want the math class to look like. And kids are going to be not, again, not practicing their times tables, but using their math to determine what is a fair minimum wage and things like this. Uh, decentering the need to find the right answer. It's all about ideology at this point. And it is, it's called, if we want to get technical, it's called critical pedagogy. This idea that schools are supposed to be the centers from which, from which progressive, radical social change happens. Schools are not supposed to be, you know, where we teach kids math and reading and form them intellectually and form and mold their characters. It's explicitly said. That's not what schools are supposed to be for anymore. They are supposed to be for indoctrination. They are supposed to be for advancing a progressive worldview. I think I, fr- I saw the phrase you used on Twitter that the California framework is revolving around something called sociopolitical consciousness. Boy, you couldn't sound more Marxist if you tried. Yeah, I mean, the, we keep coming back to this Wall Street Journal article, yep. one of the most most taught books in schools of education to, perspe- to prospective teachers is called uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire, and it's a Marxist book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, he references the Russian Revolution and the Maoist Cultural Revolution of what his ideas look like when put into action. Uh, our schools are explicitly advancing something of a Marxist agenda. And I'm I'm not usually one to say that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I didn't used to either. Clear. I know, I know. I, didn't I start, steer so far clear from, you know, conspiracy theorizing. And then I look at a math curriculum that's telling teachers to raise the students 
political consciousness. And it's just what, what else are they doing except trying to indoctrinate kids? Yes, I'm with you. I used to not talk about it that way either, and now it's inescapable and unavoidable. I think uh, because I don't want to. But I don't want to. But they're telling us who they are. They are telling us who yeah. they are, and it's high time we believe them. I think, right? Yes, exactly. What do you tell parents? I mean, what do you tell parents to do in this environment? I mean, it's the homeschooling option isn't available for everyone for a lot of different reasons. Uh, some of the private schools, by the way, I have to tell you, Daniel, I don't know if you agree or not. Some of the private schools are just as bad. And just because it's private doesn't mean it's good. I've seen some lousy private schools. I have seen some good public schools, but I've seen some lousy. What do you tell parents? On the... Just what, how to, what, to, the, what they should parents. think, what they should do in raising their kids, you know? If, if it... I, was, I, was at a, I was at a Christian private school just last year uh, and was pulled in the office and chastised because I told a student that self-expression is not the only thing that matters, that there are other ethical imperatives and moral, objective moral considerations that we should think about other than just self-expression. And I was brought in the office and yelled at by my principal for that. And that's There's a private a, Christian yeah, that, school. Yeah, okay, to my point, yes. To my point, right. I mean, do whatever you can to get your kid in uh, classical charter school, in a Catholic school, in a Christian school that you know is going to hold their ground. I always say homeschooling isn't an option for everyone, but it's certainly a great option for a whole lot of people. Yeah. If you, if all you can do is send your kid to a private school, you need to be asking questions. You got to be watching what they're doing. Um, you know, looking over their work. We can't just send our kids to school anymore and trust that Miss Penny, who's been at the school for 30 years, is going to teach your kids phonics or their math facts. You got to stay involved. You got to send emails. You got to pressure. You got to go to school board meetings. You got to speak out. You got to get in contact with the media. Um, the stuff isn't going to end until parents call the ruckus about it. And until <laughs> we start also getting some lawsuits and things in there to put a stop to all of this. And thank you for that. And don't you agree, too, only about 50 seconds left, don't you agree, too, that the one of the, one of the top good signs of a good school is the welcoming of parent involvement? And when they want the parents out, that's a danger sign. That's always been my view anyway. Yeah, 100%. Why would a school not want a parent involved? Right. I've always wanted parents to be on top of their homework, holding their kids accountable. If I ever said, I don't want, a, like, that's just, that's so crooked and corrupt that you're going to keep a parent out of their own child's education. Mm -hmm. And yet that trend is, is rapidly moving forward, too. I mean, you hear that from NEA officials as much as the president of the United States. Maybe we'll talk about that next time. Daniel Buck, it was so great having you with us. Again, folks, his book, What is Wrong with Our Schools?, the Ideology Impoverishing Education in America and How We Can Do Better for Our Students. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You we'll talk soon. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.